Um, I've actually uh, got Ephesians 6, verse uh, 10 to 24 to preach on, which is the armour of God. And um, I've called it Dressed for Success. Now, um, it's a very familiar passage. And the trouble with familiar passages is that we have this habit of putting them into that box in our thinking called being there, done that, which would be a real mistake in this case. I started looking at this passage about, um, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, in fact, and uh, I started to make some notes. I started to think about it. By the time I'd finished, I had 24 pages of notes. And you'll be very glad to know that I am not going to preach from 24 pages of notes this morning. But because of that, what you get from me is not going to be exhaustive on the armour of God, okay? There is so, so, so much in this passage that it really would be great if some of you kind of went away and thought about it and maybe looked at it for yourselves. So when I'm preaching, you know, don't think, oh, she missed out this or she didn't say anything about that because there's a lot um, here and a lot to get through. So I'm just going to give you some of the things that really spoke to me when I looked at this passage. Okay, can we put the passage up, Patrick? Oh, he's done it. God, they're so good here, aren't they? Okay, so we're just going to read this. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore... Put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the, go- the go- mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Now, where we're going to just start is just thinking a little bit about the context. Why did Paul use this particular illustration to give his message? What set him off thinking about armour? Well, the first thing would be that in those times, you would have seen Roman soldiers absolutely everywhere. The Romans were very very firmly in charge. And uh, every street corner you're walking along, you would see a Roman soldier. But for Paul, there was something very specific here. You see, he was in Rome at this time. He was under house arrest, and he could come and go to a certain extent. He was like like that for two years. But actually, he had to be chained to a Roman soldier at all times. And so there was only a limited, really, amount of freedom in that. 
But if you were chained to a Roman soldier at all times, you were going to know a lot about that Roman soldier's armour. You were going to see how it worked. You were going to see how it all fitted together. And I'm sure that Paul contemplated that Roman soldier. And when, um, you know, Father God started to speak to him about how we walk, how we stand, how we live, how we um, battle our enemies, the the thing that Paul would have seen was this Roman um, soldier standing there in his armor. And so he was able to draw his illustration from it. Now, we're not so familiar with armour today. Um, I mean, when I think of armour, I tend to think of, you know, the sort of great big, like the sort of knight's jousting, you know what I mean, with a great big sort of headpiece on here and, you know, everything kind of covered. But the, the Roman armour was, um, was different to that. And the thing is, when I was a new Christian, there, there used, it used to be said, I, people used to say, in the morning when you get up, you have to put on your armour, and, um, I, and I used to think, oh, I've got to put my armour on. So, and I've still got this kind of jousting knight in my head, you know. So put my helmet on, you know, get into my armour and kind of sort of struggle around like this. But actually, unless you know what your armour is for, unless you know how it works and how to use it, then all that kind of spiritual armour, if you don't take it out the door with you, it's really just a pile of spiritual junk, to be honest. We need to know what to do with that armour. We need to know how to use it. All right. But you see, the thing is, as I said, if I don't know what it's for, I don't know how to use it, then I'll walk out the door and nothing's changed. We have, um, we have a coat rack um, by our door at home, and uh, generally there are a lot of different sorts of coats on it. You know, it may, we may not have put the winter coats away, so there might be a ski jacket up there. There might be a kind of rain mac out up there. There might be something sort of light. Now, if I come up to my coat rack and I think, got to put my coat on, okay? And it's blazing sunshine outside and I kind of put on my ski jacket and I walk outside the door. I am going to be so hot inside five minutes. And if it's pouring with rain out there and I get my sort of flimsy little pretty jacket and I put on that, well, I'm going to look pretty like a drowned rat, you know, after a short period of time. It's important that we know what we're doing with our armour. If we could just have, oh, he's put it back up. Do you know, I'm, Patrick, you're just ahead of me. Thank you. Okay. So why do we need the armor? Why do we need it? Well, we have an enemy, don't we? And when we have an enemy, it means that we're in a battle. And a battle would be a dangerous place to be if you didn't have some armor. Without armor, you're likely to ended up, end up wounded um, or captured or dead or hiding because you're afraid of ending up wounded, captured or dead. But the armour is there to protect us against the enemy, against the schemes of the enemy, it says in Ephesians 6, and sometimes that gets um, translated as the wiles of the enemy. And you see, that, that word, the schemes of the enemy, it's a word that method, methodia, which means it's like the method. It means laying something down, almost like constructing a roadway. And that's what the enemy does, doesn't he? Because you see, he has no power over us, but he likes to try and convince us that he does. And so he tries to build lies into our lives, build roadways into our minds. And so we start to listen to him over the father. Paul says the armor is there to keep us strong. It's there to help us to keep our feet It's there to help us walk out our Christian life and it's to do all the things that God's called us to do and it's there to help us end well. So what armour do we need to put on? 
First of all, Paul says this isn't a pick-and-mix exercise. The word that's used for the whole armor of God is the word we get the word panoply from, and it means everything, the whole lot, all together. And so we're not meant to sort of pick and choose, oh, I'll just take the sword of the Spirit out with me today, or, oh, well, I think I'm going to need my helmet of salvation on. It's everything. We take the whole armor. It's all or nothing. The first bit of of the armor that Paul mentions is not necessarily the bit you'd first think of, because he talks about the belt of truth. And when we think of belts, we often think of something quite decorative that we would um, put on. But for the Roman soldier, the belt that they wore was absolutely crucial, because it did several things. First of all, it was a place to hang your sword. Wouldn't be much use if you were kind of going out of the house and it's like, where's my sword? Oh, it's not there because I haven't got my belt on. So it would hold the sword. But it would also do something else. It would give him freedom of movement. So if you were a Roman soldier, underneath your armor, you would have a tunic. And they weren't very sophisticated in their tunics. They tended to be just kind of big squares of material with the arms and the head cut out. So it was quite baggy. But it would be held by the belt, and then if you were going to run, you could tuck your tunic up, you could tuck it into your belt, and you could run unimpeded. So it gave him freedom in battle. The other thing that the belt did was it it took some of the weight of the breastplate. So it would um, kind of hold the breastplate in and lift some of the weight of the breastplate off the the soldier's, I can't say that, soldier's shoulders. (laughs) Don't say that one when you've had too much to drink. Mm. Okay, but Paul says that we have a belt. We're to put on the belt of truth. The the Roman soldier wouldn't take his belt off even in peacetime. A Roman soldier was kind of always ready for action, and apparently they would have their sword there even even in times of peace. They'd be wandering around with their belt and their and their sword. So it was almost a bit like a badge of office for them. And you know, the belt of truth is like our badge of office. It's something that should define us. It's who we are. The truth should define us. And it's, it's who we are. And we're not meant just to kind of point truth out to people. I mean, you'll know that the folks that will stand on street corners and just kind of shout the truth out at you. Yeah? But we're not meant to do that. We're actually meant to wear it. It's meant to encompass us like the belt that the Roman soldiers would have had. Galatians 3.27 says this. It says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And what do we know about Jesus? In John 14.6, it says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when we clothe ourselves with Christ, we clothe ourselves with the truth. John 8.32 says this, it says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So in the same way that the belt brought some um, freedom of movement to the Roman soldier, so the truth brings us freedom of movement. It brings us confidence. When we know the truth, when we walk in the truth, when it encompasses us, when we have it on, then it enables us to walk in freedom. Jesus set us free from sin and death. And so we know him, we know the truth. But we also know the truth in here. We know the truth in his word. And that helps to keep us free. But you know, I can know this backwards, sideways, upside down, whatever way you like. If it's only head knowledge, it's not 
going to do anything for me. It needs to be something that's in my heart. So the belt of truth won't do anything for me unless I walk in it every day, unless it is firmly around me, unless I know it. When we know the truth, when we walk in the truth, when it encompasses us, what happens is that as we kind of walk out our daily lives, the enemy comes and he kind of throws those lies at us. He tries to build those roadways into our mind that he so loves to do. And we are able to hold those lies up against the truth and see them for what they are. And they lose their power. The enemy says things like, you're useless. You can't do that. There's no point. Nothing will ever change. There's no hope. But all of those lies can be held up against the truth. And when it's part of who we are, we can see them for what what they are. And we can send them back where they came from. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 says this. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And one of the ways that we can take captive those thoughts that come in is by tucking them in to the belt of truth so we don't trip over as we go. Jesus did that in the wilderness in Matthew 4. Can you imagine after 40 days just how hungry Jesus must have been? So when the enemy comes to him, what's he going to go for? He's going to go for the weak spot. Jesus is hunger. And so he says to Jesus, you could turn these stones into bread. I remember um, hearing Bill Johnson speaking about how when he fasts, he reads cookery books. Anyone else heard that? I think that would be agony to be fasting. And we should be looking at all these amazing pictures. But I can just imagine when he stops fasting, he says, oh, let me at the food. But, you know, when the tempter came and, and said to him, you know, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he took the lie and he held it up against the truth and he said, bye bye to the enemy. The next part of the armour that Paul talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. And I love that because it's the bit that protects the heart. You know, it covers our heart. It it protects it. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. So it's important that our hearts are guarded by righteousness. See, we are righteous. We've been made righteous. Um, Paul says in Philippians 3.9 that his desire is to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So we have that. We have that righteousness. But we need to learn how to walk in it, how to take it with us. And some of those things are going to be individual to you. So you're going to have to work some of those things out with God, how you guard your heart. So we know, you know, there are some things that we just know are right and wrong. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the things that are individual for each of us. So for me, for example, I can't watch very violent movies. 
I just can't. Now, I am in a house full of men who love to watch kind of, you know, action films, war films. And sometimes it's like, I know, do you know, that is just going to be too much for me. It does something inside that I don't like. Do you, you know that? You, you all have things that's true of. And so I guard my heart by not watching those things. And there'll be different things that we have to kind of work out with God about what damages our heart, what makes us cynical, what makes us hard, what makes us uncaring. Those things, we need to ask him about them and make sure that we don't take those out with us. We take our breastplate of righteousness out with us. One of the best ways to guard my heart is by spending time with him. Because when I'm in his presence, I mean, again, this morning, when we were singing, did you not feel that it was doing something to your heart? As you heard that, it was like heaven joined in with us this morning. And it does something good to your heart. It protects your heart. And so as we spend time with him, it acts as a guard over our hearts. What shoes are you wearing? Ephesians 6.15 says, With your, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, I don't think I would have much enjoyed wearing a Roman soldier's sandals because um, the soles were made from several layers of, of sort of thick um, leather and they were studded with hollow-headed nails. They feel quite bulky. And then they were kind of strapped up the leg with sort of leather thongs. But actually, they were fantastic for the job they had to do. They were very sturdy, and they gave him a firm footing in battle. And they allowed him to cover long distances quickly. The legions of Rome are famous for being able to travel long distances. And um, the footwear was one of the reasons they could do that, because, you know, you've got a blister halfway down the road. It wasn't going to be very helpful for you. There was another thing about those sandals which I discovered, which I didn't know, and that is that they they weren't meant to walk backwards in. It was actually quite difficult to walk backwards if you were wearing your sandals. Do you have beautiful feet? Who here has beautiful feet? Look at that. (laughs) Well, I have to say, I think I used to have beautiful feet. (laughs) I'm not sure they're so beautiful now. They've had a lot of wear. (laughs) But babies' feet, now they are beautiful, aren't they? They are so cute. And I know um, Christine West was telling me that for her birthday, her um, son and and daughter-in-law gave her um, a cast of her granddaughter's foot for her to keep. So cute. And they are just lovely. And when you see babies, oh, how cute are those? But, do you know, Isaiah 52 Verse 7 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings good tidings, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And Paul talks about having our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. But actually, it's, it's, it's bigger than just peace, isn't it? Because it's the same gospel. It's the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's the foundation that we walk on. So we are to be at peace. We are to model peace. We are to work from a place of peace. And we're to be at peace, whatever the situation. And that can all be true because we carry the good news. 
And we know that however bumpy the road gets, God is always good and I can trust him. Secondly, as I said, the you know, armies rarely stand still for any length of time. They need a forward momentum. Now, they might stop to rest for a while. They might stop to sort out provisions. But basically, they are always, or wanting anyway, to always be moving forward, always taking more ground. And, you know, that's the same for us. As we walk on that foundation of Jesus Christ, we are aiming to be taking more ground, both in our individual lives and also for the kingdom. So we march as individuals, we take ground as individuals. We also take ground as a body of people. And if you think of something like the healing room, for example, we've seen ground taken in healing centre. So when we first started doing the healing centre, and I guess some of the guys here that do it would probably attest to this, you know, we were getting healings, but um, we have seen an increase in that. And maybe in the beginning we weren't seeing things like cancer healed. Now we're seeing cancer healed. And there is a kind of momentum, there is a forward motion in the healing centre as we're taking more ground from the enemy. And that can be true across every area of our life. When we go out the door in the morning with our shoes shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we should be expecting to take ground from the enemy. We should be expecting to, for, um, to take forward the kingdom. It's very difficult to walk backwards in Roman sandals. And, you know, if we start to walk backwards, we need to sort of stop and say to ourselves, what's wrong? This isn't what God wants for my life. What do I need to do in order to start moving forward again? The next um, bit of the armour is the shield of faith. Ephesians 6, 16 says this, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the Roman um, uh, shield wasn't like the shield that you saw with that guy with his armour, if you notice, but he got this little round shield. If you were a Roman soldier, you'd have a whopping great rectangular shield that actually protected your whole um, body. So if you were under attack from arrows, for example, then you would kind of get down there behind your shield and your whole body would be protected. And some of those shields, they had a metal boss in the center of them. And, you know, that's quite useful because if you're kind of coming up to the enemy, you can give quite a punch with that shield and knock the enemy backwards. And another thing that they used to do sometimes um, when they were under sustained attack, particularly from, from arrows, they would lock this, their um, shields together. So they would, they would form this locked wall. And then some of them would put their, their shields right up over the top. And they called it testudo, which I can't remember if it means tortoise or turtle. But whatever it is, it's like having this kind of shell over the top of you. And they were completely encased. And there are, there are um, accounts, historical accounts, of how when um, they did this and they moved forward, as they came up to the enemy, they were so well disciplined that then the, the shields came down, they opened up, they were in a line, and they would just go for the enemy, and they would very often overcome them that way. So there was this protective thing, but again, it was still the sense of moving forward, still the sense of being on the offensive, not being on the defensive. Do you you see what I mean? Because sometimes it it can feel like, oh, well, we just need to cower behind here and hope the enemy goes away. No, actually, with the shield, we move forward. The other thing that the shield did, 
um, was um, it, it, if there were any flaming arrows, sometimes they used to set fire to the arrows with um, sort of burning pitch on these. If the arrows landed into these shields, which were made up of various leather, uh, sort of le- um, layers, so there was metal or wood and there was leather, it would sink into the shield, and as it sank into the shield, the, the flames would be extinguished. And Paul says that we're to take up our shield of faith. Now, I could take the entire morning on this one. Um, So what I'm going to say is not, obviously, all there is to faith. And you could just do a whole study on faith and how we use that. And that, you know, that would give you a lot. But I want to just um, go over a couple of things. First of all, as I said before, you know, we can agree with God or we can agree with the enemy. And faith is essentially when we agree with God about something. You know that um, he has, Satan has no power over us, but as we believe his lies, we give power to him. And we, as I said, we can find that we're getting these ways of thinking, these strongholds beginning to appear in our lives. In Sozo, when I do Sozo, we, we spend a lot of time dealing with lies. And um, we often get people to ask the question, what lie am I believing? And if you're struggling... If you're finding yourself in situations where your faith is kind of, you know, feeling a bit wobbly and it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with this, then a really good question to ask him is, Father God, what lie am I believing? Because once we know what the lies are, do you know what? They're so much easier to deal with. When the enemy sends those fiery darts, we need to stop. And we need to find out what Father God says about a situation. It's like crouching down behind our shield of faith. Um, who remembers uh, the program Dad's Army? Does anyone remember that one? Yeah. Well, uh, sorry for those of you too young and don't. But there was, um, there was a character in there called Jones. And um, he used to spend most of his time running around saying, Don't panic! Don't panic! While he was running around panicking. And I think, you know, sometimes we get like that. I got like that this morning a little bit because um, I had all my stuff on my laptop and I actually prefer to have sort of paper when I'm, I'm doing a preach. So I, I came down this morning and thought, right, I'll print it off. So I go in and my laptop isn't connecting to the internet. So I kind of keep pressing on it. <laughs> don't panic, don't panic. <laughs> And uh, I run upstairs, Stuart, can you come and sort the computer out? And then I run back downstairs, and then the little voice in my head, which is actually not God, it's my son Alex, his voice in my head said, Mom, if it doesn't work, turn it off, turn it on again. Which I did, and guess what? It worked. (laughs) But actually, you know, with God, it's like that sometimes, isn't it? We're running around saying, don't panic, don't panic. But actually what we need to do is just stop and say, Father God, what do you say about this situation? Father God, will you give me the wisdom I need to deal with this? Father God, will you protect me? Will you bring your peace? Whatever it is, we need to sit there behind our shield of faith. We need to stop. We need to ask him. And as those lies of the enemy sink into the shield of faith, they're extinguished. Now, it doesn't mean that we are not now in the battle. We may still be in those same circumstances, still in the midst of the battle, but we are at peace in the midst of the battle rather than running around saying, don't panic, don't panic. And that is a much better place to be because then we can hear him and we can start to get the wisdom that we need to deal with the situation that we face.
Secondly, sometimes we need to lock our shields together. Sometimes there are situations that we face as a body of people that need us to lock our shields of faith together. So, you know, for us, I guess the building was one of those times. You know, it didn't always look like it was going to happen. There were all sorts of difficulties along the way. If you don't know about those, go ask Dave Stevens over there. We had a lot of, lot of, of, of fun and games getting here. But we had to lock shields in that place. It needed the body to have faith for that to happen. And there are circumstances that we come through where that's what we need to do. We need to lock our shields of faith and we need to seek God together to find what we need. Right, we're getting there. The helmet. There's so much to this armour. The helmet. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when I thought about salvation, I thought about it in the sense of the salvation past, present, and future. So when I became a Christian, I was eternally saved. I became a new creation. I became light rather than darkness. And knowing that should help guard my mind and give me freedom to be confident, to have courage. And then in the present now, I know that I am seated with him in heavenly places. Now, there are lots and lots of preachers about that. You want to know more about being seated with him in heavenly places, go listen to Pete's preach on the subject. But actually, that means that I can access the, the resources of heaven. And I look to the hope of salvation, as Paul says, you know, when we'll be with him in heaven. And for me, fundamentally, the helmet of salvation is a helmet of hope. Hope guards my mind and hope guards my soul. In Thessalonians 5.8, Paul says this, he says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. So there's, there's another aspect to our breastplate there, but putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Our helmet is the hope of salvation. And the one thing that Satan really loves to do is kill hope. Do you know that if he kills hope, then he disables faith as well? Because the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. And he knows that if he can cause hope to leave us, if we lose our hope, then we also, it damages our faith and we become ineffective and powerless Christians. So we need the helmet of salvation to protect our hope. The sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the Roman sword was a very fearsome weapon. It was a double-edged sword. It had two sharp sides. It wasn't very long. Again, it wasn't a sort of an Excalibur, you know, that you pull out the stone. It was a short, generally, it was a short, fat, sharp sword, which was really good for hand-to-hand combat. And I tell you, you did not mess with a Roman centurion and his sword. If he got the sword out, he was probably going to use it. And I was trying to think of the modern-day equivalent. And if there's any Americans here, I do apologize. But whenever I go to the States and you kind of see the kind of heavenly armed guys at the airport and you just think, I am just not going to mess with these guys. Um, I, I kind of did mess with them accidentally when I was there about a year and a half ago because um, I was coming back and we'd done some shopping And I got to, you know, we're coming back to England, so I get to security in the American airport, 
And, you know, you have to kind of put all your bags through, don't you? So my bag goes through and I go through. I get to the other side and the, the, the sort of heavily armed guy stops me and says, Ma'am, have you got anything illegal in your bag? And I'm like, uh, you know, when your mind goes, what have I got in my bag? You know, so I'm like, no, I don't think so. Ma'am, do you have a weapon in your bag? <laughs> so I'm thinking, have I got a pen knife? And then he says, ma'am, do you have a gun in your bag? Which point I'm really panicking, as you can imagine. I'm like, no, I've got a gun. And then I went, oh, because I had brought Stuart a bottle opener shaped like a revolver. Now, actually, when you got it out, it was kind of hollowed out on the back. It was only, you know, the kind of pattern was it looked like a gun. But on on the x-ray, guess what it looked like? So I'm like, oh, it's just a bottle opener. You know, so he says, ma'am, will you open your bag? Which is a bit weird because you think if I did, I'd just put my hand in and take the gun out, possibly. But I'm keeping a close eye on his weapons here and sort of opening the bag. And here it is, you know. So it didn't crack a smile at all. You know what they're like. Not a flicker went across his face. So he took it, he looked at this hollowed out bit of metal, and then he put it in the x-ray machine. And I'm like, there could not be anything in this. I think he was making me suffer. So eventually he kind of gives it back to me, still no smile, and I kind of put it back in my bag, and I, I walk off. And as I walk off, I kind of look behind, and he's talking to this other guy, and they are grinning all over their faces. <laughs> so that's what puts me in mind, the Roman centurion with his sword, you know, don't mess with me. Okay, but Paul says, you know, our sword is the sword of the spirit. And you know what, which is the word of God, it is a fearsome weapon. That word, word, I mean, people often sort of say, oh, you know, the word of God. And that is true, but we're not just, we're not talking about the written words in here. We're talking about the reamer of God. And the word reamer, it means um, that which has been uttered by the living voice, the thing spoken, a declaration of one's um, mind made in words. It's the living, active, now word of God for this day, for this situation. And, you know, you carry that with you. How powerful is that when you walk out of the door? You carry the living, active, now word of God. And that means there is no situation that he can't speak into. There is no problem to which he can't bring wisdom and understanding and again, the same passage we use of you know, Jesus in the wilderness, Jesus used the living, active, now word of God to withstand Satan's temptations. So what does he say? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God, the active, living, reamer word of God in our, in our um, lives is life to us. It's food to us. It's bread to us. It's what we live on. <clears throat> But, you know, if you leave your sword in its scabbard, it's not going to be much use to you. If the Roman soldier never takes the sword out of the scabbard, it's never going to act as a weapon. It's just going to sit there hung from the belt. We have to use it. Father, what do you want to say about this? Father, what's the truth? That's another good sozo question. If you've done the what's the lie, the next thing to do is say, what's the truth? Because it's knowing the truth that will set you free. Do you know, there is nothing that can withstand the ability of God's word to cut to the heart of the matter and uncover the truth. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates 
to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is a powerful, powerful weapon. And it also helps us to take hold of the shield of faith. Romans 10:17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the words, that's Rima again, of God, by the living, active, now word of God, we are able to get a firm grip on the shield of faith. When we walk out of the door in the morning with the sword of the Spirit fastened to the belt of truth, our minds protected by the helmet of salvation, our hearts guarded by the breastplate of righteousness, pressing forward with the shoes of the gospel of peace and secure behind the shield of faith, we are truly powerful people. It's just Satan doesn't want us to believe that. We have one more um, part of our armory, one more weapon, if you like, in our armory. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for me also that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Remember, he's chained to the Roman soldier at that point for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. That's about keeping our connection with him. See, it's not our armour, it's his armour. And sometimes we make the mistake of trying to construct our own armour. Oh, I really need to do this. If I just do that, if I... Then, no, we need his armour not ours. It's the only armour that really um, protects us. Coming into his presence, seeking him, those are the best ways that we protect our connection with him. Looking to him in all the situations we face. When we go out the door in the morning, expect to be talking to him throughout the day. You know how we so often forget? We get so busy that we just kind of keep going. And somewhere, if he's lucky down the line, we suddenly think, oh, maybe he's interested in this. But, you know, those little words that get sent up. You know, God, I'm finding this really boring. You know, give me your way of seeing it. God, I really need a solution to this. Give me some wisdom. Whatever it is. Paul says, pray also for me. I should say, well, there's obviously another sermon there on prayer, but you can go and do that yourselves as well. Um, Pray also for me, says Paul, that when I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare declare it fearlessly as I should. Do you know, I... I started to look at this. I started, I went back to Acts, Acts 28. If you go back to Acts 28, verse 30, you'll find um, the sort of story, really, of, of oh, just Acts 28 and then into verse 30. You'll find the story of how, you know, Paul ended up in Rome and ended up um, sort of under uh, the guard in the, in the rented house where he was for two years. And funnily enough, having done all that stuff on the armour, this moved me so much that actually I was almost in tears at the end of it because... You know, I said Paul intends us to use the armour to, um, to, to, to walk our Christian lives well, to stand firm. 
but also to end well. And um, this was coming towards the end. I mean, he, he was released from this captivity. He did go into captivity again in Rome. And, you know, after that, he, he was killed. And so we're getting towards the end of his life. But Paul ended really well. And he got his wish when he said, pray that when I speak, words will be given me and I'll declare it fearlessly. In Acts 28.30, we read that for two whole years, he stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. In an odd sort of way, that captivity gave him the, um, the, the ability, is not quite the right word, but the opportunity to do exactly what he wanted to. Because even though he was under um, constant guard, one by one, the Praetorian guards would be on duty with Paul. And guess what they would hear? They would hear the gospel. They couldn't. And then when he was out and about, chained to his little Roman guard there, they would hear what he said to other people. They would hear him declaring the gospel outside as well. They would hear him pray and sing praises to God. They would see his courage, his gentleness, his loyalty to Christ and his deep inner conviction. They would have seen that he wasn't an ordinary prisoner. They wouldn't have had many prisoners like Paul. Most prisoners were brought to Rome to uh, entertain at the Circus Maximus. Paul wasn't in that position. He was a very unusual prisoner. He was an uncondemned Roman, one who had appealed to Caesar. And it's almost certain that he would have tried to teach that captive audience that he had, those soldiers changed to him, about um, the gospel of, of Christ, the good news that he carried. And you know what it also did? It opened the way for preaching the gospel to the finest regiment in the Roman army. Even the ones that weren't chained to him, I bet the guys that had been went back and told the rest of the guards, you know what, we have got this complete weirdo in here today. (laughs) But actually to start to speak about what they heard. So Paul declared that his imprisonment had actually been for the furtherance of the gospel. So the news spread from guard to guard, and then it would have spread to the families of the guards. And then we find out it even spread to Caesar's household. So the gospel got into Caesar's household. Now, that's not quite what we always kind of understand by that. It's really talking about the kind of wider household, the kind of, I guess some of it would be the equivalent of the civil service. But people with influence, people with power. In Philippians, Paul ends the Philippian letter by saying this. He says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Yeah. And so we get to the end of the story. It began for Paul in Jerusalem about 30 years before, and now it's finishing in Rome. And you know what? That is a miracle of God. The church, which at the beginning of Acts could be numbered in scores, can now be numbered in tens of thousands. And Paul was a, played a major part in that as he partnered with God. The story of the crucified man from Nazareth swept across the world, and conquer, in, conquering as it went. Until now, its influence is even being preached in Rome, which was at that time the capital of the world. The gospel had reached the center of that world and was being freely proclaimed. And as I read that, I thought, you know, I want to leave footprints in the world. I want to take some of the kingdom. I want to partner with him. We read a story like the story of Paul and the enemy says, you couldn't do that. 
You couldn't be that influential. You're just, well, you're just you. But actually, with him, we can be like Paul. As we wear our armor, as we walk it out, we are powerful people who have the ability to do what he calls us to and the ability to end well. Amen.